Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, and what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsock. And if you knew how many times I just had to do that intro, you'd point and laugh at me. From the Dornish of the southern to the things... One of those days, one of those weeks, just a podcast. This week, uh, we missed last week. Apologies. Life schedule, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. I, I hate missing I hate missing shows. We do them generally Friday, sometimes Saturday. I hate it, but it just happens, and you have to let that, you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with that. This is a podcast first. It always will be a podcast first. There's no YouTube this week. We might return to that at some point. To be honest, the idea of talking about uh, Game of Thrones, even if it's the World of Ice and Fire, on YouTube right now. This is exhausting, but we're going to get back because Thomas Rizzling is going to come back. Uh, we're going to get more into the Dance of the Dragons and Fire and Blood and all those kind of things. But I'm going to talk about something else because it was on my mind. And when, we, when something strikes you, we do this a lot over Force Center. And something out there in the Star Wars universe strikes, strikes you, you want to talk about it, you talk about it. And something in the Game of Thrones fandom universe world, whatever you want to call it, struck me this week. We get this question from time to time. We got it. We got it in season eight, right after season eight. We got it recently. We're going to get it again. In fact, we're going to probably talk about it again because the answer changes. The answer will continue to change. Thank God. Thank the gods. All seven and the extra ones. And that is what will the legacy of HBO's Game of Thrones be? It's difficult to answer. We can point to other shows track records and i'm i'm gonna be doing that here right now uh, mentioning shows we've mentioned before but there's a reason it's on my mind look all right the quality of game of thrones went down from pick a season on and that's kind of my point from season two on the show wasn't as good as it used to be that's something a casual fan or a pretentious fan or an enlightened fan fans are going to say my point is it doesn't matter it's going to be said by a lot of different kinds of fans not just one i always talk about season two being one of my favorite seasons because season two came out of left field a bit for me i didn't think i liked it as much as season one 
I mean, I liked a lot of things. No way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I liked, oh, there was that one part and I liked that part. Ooh, ooh, that part was good. But uh, it wasn't as good. That happens a lot. That happens a lot with shows and movies and we see it and, and it's not just today's fandoms. It's, it's always going to be that way. You're always going to look at what came first when your expectations were lower or in some cases where your expectations were exceeded. Maybe you were a, a book reader and you're like, there's no way they can get that. Oh, all right. They did a good job. They actually captured that. Anyways, even someone like me, when I say that, I don't just mean a, a, a positive Game of Thrones fan. I get that a lot in Star Wars. Uh, you're a positive Star Wars fan, and it's quite frankly often used, not always, let's make that clear, not always, but often used uh, as an insult, as a way to write off my thoughts and insights into Star Wars. Uh, you know, but you're a positive fan. I'm the same way in Game of Thrones. I love every season. When I say, yeah, season three might be my least favorite season. I mean, we're splitting hairs here. And I love season eight. Unabashedly love season eight. Like almost everything about season eight. But it's just me. I'm not here to debate that. I, I can't debate, quite frankly. The debate around season eight, season seven, season six, season five, season four, season three, season two. And midway through season one. There's always going to be those conversations. I'm a Simpsons fan. You know how many times I've had to tell people? Actually, some of the later Simpsons seasons, especially the late teen years, early 20 seasons of uh, Simpsons, contain some of the best writing. Nah, the show went downhill. Uh, yeah, okay. But I'm here to tell you, some of the best writing is during those seasons. That's just the way it is. But, hey, I'm with you. Season four of The Simpsons still might be my favorite season. Season two, season three, you know? What was there? I'm a Saturday Night Live fan. I study Saturday Night Live. I study the history of it. Yep, used to do improv and sketch of the Groundlings and all that stuff and wanted to be on the show for a long time, so I had a keen act and active interest in it. Not so much as much, not, not, not as much anymore, but still love the show. It's an institution. I love everything about it. I love the history of it. And if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live, what do you hear about every two or three seasons? That's not as good as it was last season. Well, it wasn't as good as the last cast. They've been hearing that since 1976. The show started in 75. It's the way it's always going to be. But thinking about the legacy of Game of Thrones a lot this week and looking forward to the time where it will change, where it will not seem tarnished and you will not run into those who are ready to tear it down. Uh, which, by the way, are people who just drive me crazy. Don't like it. Move on. Have pl problems with the plot points. There's a lot of listeners here, a lot of you regular callers, even guests and contributors and co-hosts on this show who have big problems with certain things in certain seasons. You don't see them trying to tear that tear it down. You don't hear them trying to poke holes and tear down and knock down the show like a castle on top of Cersei. I was on, here's my point. I was on Josh McCuga's YouTube sh uh, channel last week. Uh, some of you know Josh McCuga, my co-host on the afternoons with Josh and Ken. Let me shut off that Discord. Sorry, you're hearing those beeps. We record live to tape around these parts. Uh, Josh McCuga on his YouTube channel had a Seinfeld trivia night. Hosted by Mark Ellis. I pop by for a bit. He versus uh, Tom Dagnino, a.k.a. Bobby Gucci. Did a... Uh, 
Josh Pretty, Jeopardy parody style trivia night about Seinfeld. They're all big fans. I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. And there's a show that you can't easily compare to Game of Thrones. Not a lot of dragons in Seinfeld. But it is one of those shows that took over the world, at least where you stood as an individual, as a high school student, a young or old, a college student, as a kid. And Seinfeld was big. If you aren't quite of age, maybe you were five or six, maybe you were 10, I don't know. But if you weren't quite of age during a show like Seinfeld and other shows, Cheers even, um, but I, I say even, and this isn't a quality conversation, but I think Seinfeld eclipsed Cheers. I think it was up there with Cosby Show. Cosby Show, yep, all the big problems aside, but the Cosby Show, for at least the first two or three seasons, until people started to say it wasn't as good as it used to be, Cosby Show was everywhere. It was one of those type of shows. Seinfeld was everywhere. It was on Thursday nights, 9 p.m., must-see TV. Friday morning at school, you and your friends were discussing last night's Seinfeld. No DVRs, no TiVos. No Hulu Live, no YouTube TV, nothing. You sat down, you watched it on your local NBC affiliate, and you were talking the next day, and it was everywhere. They were on the cover of magazines, all that stuff. That is Game of Thrones. To an even bigger degree, because it brought in different kind of you know nerd cultures and collections, figures, books, everything. It just was something bigger, something different. That Every year at San Diego Comic-Con, the cast members who showed up, George R. R. Martin, when he showed up, they were rock stars. For whatever reason, not just, I don't know, the force was with me. Uh, I'm telling you, every time I go to Comic-Con, except for maybe the last year, when I don't, there was a panel, it just was a different feel, the show wasn't even out. Yeah, it it wasn't even, I can't, no, I can't remember. No, No, this year was the year that they did not, Dan and Dave didn't show up. That's right, it was the bad year. Um, Come on, Ken. But from like season two on, when I got to like attend Comic-Con and everything, like I'm telling you, I, I'd run into them all the time. I was fortunate enough to be at some parties early on. And then uh, one year I've told some stories here before in Casterly Talk. I was at the hotel with almost all of the cast, including Sophie Turner, Maisie Williams. Uh, it, it was uh, bizarre. You could, they just were next level popular. That's how big the show was, right? It's, it's going to fall if it's that big. But the thing is, it hurts, my, it hurts me. It hurts me. I'm one of those fans. Maybe you're like me. It hurts me when I run into just over-the-top, overt negativity towards season eight. I was just doing an event. I was hosting a little side event, a little side gig for a, a events and adventures type of club, uh, you know, where everyone, they usually meet in person and they were doing online. So they, they got brought me in to host a Game of Thrones happy hour night. Talk about Game of Thrones and everything. Small amount of people attended, but we had good conversations. It was fun. People love the show. People have opinions on the show. I want them to have opinions on the show. But then, you know, there was the guy, there was the one tossing, ah, it was just lazy writing. Ah, so, and I'm not even here to fight him on it. Because there is such thing as lazy writing, and shows do change. I'm a big fan of Rescue Me. 
Season one is perfection. Season two is great. Three or four, five, yeah, get a little weird. Show about firefighters, and they don't even even fight fires for like three seasons. Then it pulls itself together, and doesn't. It's not that it got worse, and then it got better. It just it was a different show. Game of Thrones was never really a different show. Everything switches. I think after season three, when most of the the cast, the Starks and Catelyn Stark and Ned Stark, everyone's kind of gone. It's a different feel. It's different characters, but it's. I think it stays the show that it was all the way through. Rescue Me is a show that I love. It's one of my all-time favorite shows, but it's a different show in the middle middle seasons. It's going to happen. But it hurts me. I get defensive. I get that way it's with Star Wars, too. Almost because... Not, not that it's going to knock me off my hill of fandom. I, you know? I'm not, I'm not going to be pushed off... Ah, you're right. Oh, I hate that show. And I'm tumbling down the hill because you've pushed me off with your opinion. That's never going to happen. It just hurts me. I think a lot of you probably understand what I mean when it's just like, ah, that hurts you. It hurts me to hear you say that. It's because, number one, you, you might be a little off base. Or two, just look at it a different way. I go to season eight of Game of Thrones. It's just there's so many things like... I knew after episode two, it was a lost cause. That's when I started muting things and people and phrases and hashtags. When, when people were analyzing the battle plans in the long night, which by the way, I do too. And it's fun to do that. I love doing that. Love doing that. In Star Wars too. Love kind of those. What ifs, what if they'd done this differently? Well, I think that's part of the fun, but it was being used against the show. Now, I still love the sending the Dothraki to their doom. I love it. You set them up all through the show. Robert Baratheon warns you. And Daenerys Targaryen shows up with a Dothraki horn at her back. He's telling you. Joffrey tells you. Then we see it. Season 7, the loot train. Oh, that's one of the greatest moments in the show, right? Bronn starts hearing that rumbling over the hill. Horses. Dragons, Dothraki, mowing the Lannisters down like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. In pro wrestling terms, they got put over big. Thousands of Dothraki on a horse. Well, not one horse, but a collective horse on horses. 10,000 Dothraki riding their horses, bow and arrows. They do it almost for fun, Jamie Lannister described it as. So you put them at the front. Dothraki are not going to be at their best standing still behind castle walls. You got your battering ram. You throw in Ghost and Jorah. And then Melisandre shows up and lights the steel they have in their hands. Oh, man. I'm looking at that going... Yes, this is a main event match I want to see. The Dothraki versus the Whites. Boom. And in pro wrestling terms, again, it's a squash match. The Dothraki have been put over and built up, and they're swiped away like nothing. And it's horrible for Danny to watch. It's horrible to watch all of them, including their culture, almost be wiped out to nothing. That's powerful to me. It works. It was used against the show. It was torn apart. It was part of people's understandable conversations about bigger social issues. But that's when I knew yeah, season eight was a loss and I wanted out of 
following along on Twitter. Because it hurt me. It hurt me. Seinfeld is a show I love, and every week I watch it, tape it on a VCR, maybe watch it again, or maybe wait to the summer, right? You had to memorize every line, man. You'd almost write down the lines you loved, and you'd meet the next day and you'd talk about it with your friends, and it became part of your lexicon, your lingo, your own little tiny connected culture at high school or college or wherever you were. Larry David, co-creator of the show. I'm a big fan of Larry David. Love, love Kirby Enthusiasm. He leaves after season seven. Seinfeld goes for nine seasons. David leaves after season seven. Automatically, the conversation started. Well, it's not going to be as good. In season eight, season nine, Jerry Seinfeld's at the helm. There's a little bit of a pacing change in the show. He removes the little stand-up buttons. And the show has a slightly different feel. But at the time, it was though the curtain had ripped in two. The temple was collapsing. Seinfeld wasn't as good as it used to be. People just assumed. They were ready for it. Oh, Larry David's gone. There's no way the show's going to be as good. He brings the edge. He brings the edge. Old Jerry can't do that. And then Larry David comes back for the finale. And, well, the rest is history, so to speak. Not a very well-received finale. I, I, it's been years since I watched it, but I, I remember going to school the next day and being like a little shocked it was, was hated. And this is what, 98, 90, yeah, 98 range. So the internet conversation wasn't there, wasn't present, wasn't prevalent, you know, even though uh, you might have had a web, website or two out there. There might have been a chat room or a forum. You could go vent and... Uh, Toss flaming darts at Seinfeld then. But without a doubt, it's one of the more infamous bad finales. And that hurt. That did hurt at the time. And the legacy of the show becomes that. What have you done for me lately? And lately, you didn't do much for me. But as I was on Josh McCuga's channel doing the Seinfeld Trivia Challenge, being part of it, reading the questions, laughing at all the plots, the characters, the catchphrases and everything. None of us on the show and none of us in the chat room were remembering, oh, well, that finale sucked. That show wasn't as good as it used to be. There was none of that. There was just laughter playing along in the chat room. People in the chat room giving answers, getting into side conversations about their favorite bits and moments and characters. There was none of that. There was none of the conversation that had dominated 98 into 99. It's a faded memory. All that remained was the moments we love. Again, season two wasn't as good as season one. I mean, except I like the Arya Tywin stuff. I like the, the Smoke Baby Demon. Oh, I feel bad for Renly. Brand's cool. Ooh, Laura's getting a bigger part. That's cool. Ooh, Marjorie Tyrell. She's, I, I like what she's done. Oh, I love that moment where she says, I want to be the queen. Oh, that's great. Ah, oh, bronze awesome. Battle. Oh, suddenly, suddenly you're remembering all the things that you liked along the way. It's a different conversation. That was us. That was us looking back on Seinfeld. Years removed, Yes. But gone were the conversations about what it used to be. And all that was left was our feelings of joy. Not even 
purely nostalgia, but like joy, like, oh God, this show still makes me laugh. Game of Thrones still moves me. That's why I still talk about it. That's why I still have casterly talk here. I thought about it. I thought about cutting this. Show was over. Prequel talk was whispers. It was rumors. We weren't sure it might happen. Yeah, there was the books. I love the books. I don't know the books as good as the show, but I've read all the books and I'm reading through them again and I've read them again and I've studied the maps. I've read the books about them. I've read books about the books about the books. But I thought about stopping this. Because why? Why keep going? But then I thought about it. This wasn't a, this isn't just a TV show for me. HBO's Game of Thrones was not just a show I liked. It was an experience. It was a journey. It hurt me. It challenged me. It brought me joy. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me cringe. Made me have fear. Filled me with tension. Gave me relief. And then took that relief away from me and filled me with dread and sadness all over again. That's why I think it's still powerful to have these conversations and still to relive it. And why? I cannot wait for the day where the conversations around the show won't be about what it wasn't or what it turned out to be Or here's a list of 12 ideas I knew were better than Dan and Dave's. Here's why Danny never should have burned a city to the ground, even though she told everyone in season two, I will burn cities to the ground. All that will fade away. And all that will remain will be the show that moved us, the story that moved us, the characters that moved us. And yes, the characters that challenged us. I wish more people allowed themselves to be challenged by the events of Game of Thrones. I, I think it's it's easier to maybe do that in the books. I don't know. But Star Wars faces this, faces this a lot, too. And, and I'm, I, I almost should stop talking about it for a while. The, the journey of Daenerys Targaryen it should hurt you. You should be upset. It should feel not right to you. Because none of it felt right to her. I think that's part of the point. We'll decide that another day. But, but, I'm looking forward to that day. So you ask me what the legacy of the show will be? I think it will be what it always was. Those that watched it in more than just their eyes. For those that watched it more than just, well, I got to watch the cool show. For all of us that experienced it, Legacy will never change. Years from now, when you get around the table or the Zoom meeting, you hang out with those who watch the show with you. And in the same way, all that will be left is what you felt back then. That is a legacy. Stick around. Quick break. We're going to reset. And I take a couple of your calls. It's Casterly Talk here for you and me and the dragons. Hey, it's Kaylee. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time, baseball fans. The new podcast feed, Box Score Heroes, has arrived. This is the new home of the show, Behind the Bag, with Ken Napsok and Tom Dagnino. And is also the place to find shows like The Legends of the Wax Packs, the only baseball power rankings you need, and My Favorite Baseball, a nostalgic look back at the game we all love, and more. Find the podcast feed on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. Box Score Heroes is your podcast home for everyone with a a passion for all things baseball. Hey team, I'm Grace Hancock, and I wanted to let you know that I'm adding new designs to my Society6 shop with several on their way. If you didn't know, you can go to society6.com slash Mrs. Graceface and shop prints of my original artwork, as well as tons of other items like stationery, notebooks, mugs, throw pillows. It's a great place to shop for gifts or just for yourself, especially in my shop if you like witchy expressionism. So head to society6.com slash Mrs. Graceface and check it out. We're back here on Casterly Talk. It's me, Ken Knapsack. It's you. And wherever you are right now. Got a couple calls I want to get to. If you want to call into the show and leave a message, you can do it via the Anchor app. Obviously, Casterly Talk is found wherever fine podcasts are podcasted. If you head over to Anchor, you got 59 seconds to leave a message. Please do. Please do. It really is the fuel for the fire of this show. It's what got it really going on Daily Thrones. It changed the way I approach Daily Thrones, which is what this feed used to be way back in the day. So yeah, please do that. Give a call. Got a couple today. We always have one from Eric Monroe. Eric is just one of our great contributors here. Got a great mind for Game of Thrones and someone who, yeah, occasionally... He loves this show, loves these books, loves these stories, but occasionally has a good question. Occasionally he says, hey, man, what if what if this had gone the other other way? Not in the, not in the what if fun discussion way, but hey, outside the story, outside the show, like what if they made this decision as creators? What, where would that have taken us? He's got a good one here today. Hey, Kenny Casually Talk. So last week was the one-year anniversary of The Long Night, which, of course, was a divisive episode to say the least and it got me thinking do you not counting you know the people that had issues with the lighting but do you think the episode would have been more well received if in fact john had been the one that killed the night king instead of aria now i didn't have any big issue with aria doing it i mean yes there's a small little tiny part of me that you know wishes it was john because i, I still personally believe to this day if anyone is azora high I, I believe it's john but do you think you know that would have changed anything with a lot of people that had issues with the episode if John was the one that took out the Night King instead of Arya Stark? So, what do you think? All right, what do I think? What do I think? 
Long night. Technical stuff aside, problems with the Dothraki aside, Jon Snow takes out the Night King. Is the episode more, more better received? Well received on a different level. Is it liked? Yeah, I think it is. And I totally understand where Eric says uh, that he kind of, part of him kind of wishes it was John. Sometimes I think that too. I think it was correct to be Arya Stark for the show. I really think it was. We'll see what happens going forward in the books. But hey, we're not there yet. We're a long way from there, from George's version. We got Dan and Dave's version, and I like that version, but this isn't about what I like. This is about what everyone likes. And yes, so again, how you could see the battle if your TV was formatted in the correct way for HBO's cinematographers, all that doesn't matter. All right, you're watching the show, you're getting through. It's this beautiful episode, right? Okay, up and down. It's a horror movie at one point. It's a war movie at one point. It's all these kind of things. You get down to the big moment. And Arya comes in for the kill. I think a lot of people just, that just was written in their minds as John's. It was John's moment. It had to be. Why? Uh, because that's what I wanted. Now, the prophecy of Zorahai, there's, I, I, I don't have it down in front of me. There is, if you look into it, there is a prophecy that kind of places Zorahai uh, uh, re- reborn, which I, I agree is, is, to me, it's John. But if you tie it into Nissa Nissa and all that kind of stuff, there is the beat. Someone out there can find it for me. I'm, I'm doing this on the fly, and I don't have it written in front of me. But there is the, the thing that basically puts the prophesized person in the north for a, a confrontation and then puts him King's Landing, the lion, and then goes into kind of the, the Nissa Nissa stuff, which is also, you know, Lightbringers. Like, it took like three times to get it right. If you follow that, just overall, it doesn't have to be, to me, John or whoever Zora High is in those moments uh, doing the individual deed, right? To, to me, that's just me. And again, we can go deeper into those prophecies. Uh, you know, I've been trying to get a little bit more <laughs> notes down and research into some of these shows. Game of Thrones is just a show. I'm familiar with all that stuff, and I watch all those videos, and I study all those things. Casually talk, when I'm, especially when I'm on it alone, it is my, me and my just emotions, man. That's how I connected to Game of Thrones. But I'm with you, Eric. I, I think John is still Azora High. I don't think him not killing the Night King takes that away. And simply put, I always talk about expectations. You always talk. You have to talk about it. First half of the show, all the conversation about how the show, Game of Thrones, started to be received differently from season two on wasn't as big of, 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 of a pushback in season two and three. Absolutely. But it was there. Those conversations were had. So, case in point, Mandalorian. I've said this before, but Mandalorian, just so well-received by so many different kinds of Star Wars fans. It is a different kind of show, but it, it, it ticks a lot of little boxes. It's a big hit. It's a big hit. And I'm right there with it. I think it should. Come back when season two is going on. We're halfway through. We're done. Season two of The Mandalorian. I'm telling you right now, regardless 
of what gets up on that Disney Plus screen, regardless of who shows up in the cast or not, guarantee you start having those conversations about it wasn't as good as season one. Westworld's going through it. I'm not a huge Westworld fan. I did. I watched the pilot. It did not grab me. <sighs> season one. You, how could you not watch season one of Westworld, Ken? Oh, my God. Oh, season two. Where there, I heard nothing but bad things about season three. And you know what? I'm not even saying it could be. I, uh, you know, now here I'm hearing so many people like it just was bad. And it might have been. It might be. There are bad things. Things do go wrong. Again, I'm going to point to Rescue Me, a show. If you knew how much I loved season one of Rescue Me, by season three or four, I was like, what is, what is, this is different. But hey, every Tuesday at 10, the Von Bondi started playing, come on, come on, and I was there, and I love the show. Anyways, to Eric's question, yes. That was John's moment in everyone's head. We all wrote it. We all wrote it that way from episode one on. And then it started getting more clear, more vibrant. Even, even again, we, we start, when I say episode one on, we didn't know that that moment was coming. Especially if you didn't read the books. You had no idea that there was someone or something or a concept of a Night King. In the sh- it's different in the show than the book. Yes, I know. But you didn't know. You know, you kind of figured. Is John and Danny, there's something going on. Fire uh, fire and blood, song of them and that. You know, it just all started going. But everyone, we started focusing on who's going to win the Iron Throne, right? And, and, and it's fun because it was, it was part of the conversation. On, at watching Thrones over at Screen Junkies Plus, every, every episode that I hosted, Lon Harris and I would come up with our fun odds to take on the throne. Who would, who would, you know, who had the best odds at the end of this week? It was fun. It's part of the conversation. But that's never the point of these shows and movies. Over in Star Wars Town, I always say Star Wars do not, does not want you to ask how or what. It wants you to ask why. Everyone's been flipping out over this Dave Filoni speech on the Mandalorian documentary. Guess what? As they should, but a pretty simple concept. And I know not everyone watches this way, so I'm not casting stones. But pretty simple concept for him to come up as a creator and be like, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. It's not about how cool it is. That's just decoration. It's not about how they're fighting or what they're fighting with. They are fighting for something, but it's the why of the thing they're fighting. Why are they fighting is the more important part of that scene, that sequence in that movie. So we were all focusing on who's going to win the Iron Throne. We never stopped to ask why. So we were all focused on Jon Snow is this. He's the prophecy. He is this. He's the one. He should take the throne. He's the ruler. He's the king. All the while, John is saying, please, I don't want this. But like, we're like, no, son, you're going to grow into it, and you're going to love this. It's going to be great. Sit on that iron throne. If it's not you, it's Danny. That's who we want. We all wanted that. Me too. I mean, I wanted Stannis, but we all wanted that. So that was his moment, man. He was supposed to win that match, but John didn't win that match. He got caught up in stuff. He technically failed. 
failed in strategy. Again, something that I sometimes think is part of the point of this. Yeah, that was kind of a bad strategy defending uh, Winterfell up there in the long night battle. Yeah, that might be part of the problem. Characters make mistakes, and you're supposed to learn from the mistakes. They're supposed to learn from them, or maybe not learn from them. Maybe they pay the price for them. Ned Stark made a lot of mistakes. That was part of the point. Part of the genius of George R. R. Martin. This great character you all love died because he didn't adapt, he didn't learn, and some of the events that you love about Ned Stark's life led to his death. John failed during the long night. There are a lot of, I, you know, there's this comment, John does, John's not a great military leader. Yeah, he may, yeah, might have been part of the point because he didn't want to be a military leader. So, sounds like, by the way, it sounds like I'm getting aggressive or something at Eric. No, this is a great question, Eric, because the answer is yes. That's the answer. Jon Snow rides up like a hero and stabs the Night King right in the chest, not in the back, not in the side, not being choked and dropping a blade, which, by the way, was cool. Jon Snow walks up and says, Not today, not in Winterfell, Night King. Stabby, stab, stab. Dead. Now look, hard home. It sets it up. It sets it up. I mean, I still, I, I spent a lot of time on, on podcasts and YouTube shows analyzing that moment of the Night King staring down at Jon Snow when he watches him kill the guy, kill the, uh, the, the, the White Walker. It's a great moment. What does that mean? What what does that mean? Does does that mean John is a Night King? Is is the Night King a Stark? Is John this or that? All great questions, by the way. And I would do it again. I would do an hour on it. But it's not often the point. Arya was being built for this. Melisandre tells her all the eyes she's gonna turn out. And Arya does that. Everything she learned made her the only one in that moment to take out the Night King. If anything, we should have seen that coming. But again, I don't want a show to do everything that I see coming. But we all saw the Jon Snow hero moment coming. So when it didn't arrive, a loud chorus of what? went up in the air and understandably understandably but that's why I love season 8 man that's why I will always love season 8 it wasn't about subverting expectations it was about reminding us this is a journey in which we're supposed to learn from the characters connect with the characters root for them but understand that they're fallible understand that some of the moments that you think are theirs aren't because we wanted them to be. In Game of Thrones, man, you don't always get what you want. So I hope that answers it in some way. And I hope no one out there takes my passion, uh, you know, negatively. If you have, if you're like, no, it shouldn't have been Arya, it should have been Theon. Uh, you know, there you go. 
But those also, by the way, are, are the conversations I love having. Love having them. I've talked about the sins of the Starks in this show so much. It was cuter back then, huh? Going into season seven or eight, like, oh, yeah, let's talk about the sins of the Starks. Oh, those Starks, those plucky Starks, too stubborn for their own good, and they cause their own problems. Yeah, you know. Yep. Yep, but now here we are, right? (laughs) All right. One final question. One final question here. Hey, everybody. In the last episode, it was brought up about the score and a possible connection with the two tracks, the, the tower and goodbye brother. And I went and listened to them because I'm a score geek. And my feeling of those two tracks is not the um, connection of John. It's the connection of Ned in both of those scenes and more of his sorrow that he feels or, and pain in each scenario versus the 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 familial connection of uh john and his you know who his what his lineage is uh let me know your thoughts all right jay uh, sent that in so last week the uh, mark meyer who's a uh, a regular caller here as well always has some great thoughts mark's mark's a great cat uh pointed out the liana motif uh, present in season what season six during the tower stuff Seems to be present during the early moments. We're talking season one, right? Ned talking to John. And and look, I, I, I'm all for those connections. I'm all for some foreshadowing in the music. That's a, that's a lot of fun. But I'm feeling I'm right here with with Jay. This is, this is a great conversation point that I, I'm probably not as qualified to answer right now because I, I am um, I'm not a score geek. I love Ramajwadi and the score and everything. I just don't have that encyclopedic uh, memory of when bits of music showed up and all that kind of stuff. Mark Riley does. Other people do. Uh, but Jay does. Mark does as well. Again, I, I, I think there's absolutely some, some connections there. John hearing about something that he doesn't quite know connects to Leanna. That is there. That is real. I feel that. But I love what Jay's talking about here of being connected. If he, he he says he finds the connection in Ned, the burden of Ned, the memory of Leanna for Ned and what he did for her, promise me Ned, and what that cost him. That cost him something. It cost him a lot. Just even on the burden. Even if it was something he couldn't feel, wasn't palpable. He had to carry that for a long time. He had to hide it from John. And yeah, I probably had no problem treating him as his own. That kind of worked. Again, Leanna's Leanna is dead. It's not like she she's hiding out and he's keeping it's a it's a different type of feel if it's that. You know? That's his son. But he knows it's a lie. And uh, perhaps I think worst of all, he has to keep it from his wife. And he has to build a relationship around it. How sad is that? His sister means the world to him. She dies in childbirth in front of him. After he, you know, gets in this big battle with the sword of the morning, generally considered a good guy. He's got to go back, return the sword to to House Dane. You know, 
you know, Ned and his sister, I think there's some winky winky going on there. It's emotional time. It's pain. And the whole time, Ned has this wife back home that he wasn't even supposed to marry, but he does out of duty. He didn't even know her, didn't even love her yet. But he comes back and he does. When we meet up with Ned Stark, particularly in season one, the love is strong. The bond is strong. They grew into a, a loving marriage, but it was built on a lie. And Ned had to carry that his whole life. That's why Sean Bean is so good. He plays everything about Ned. He's, he's, he's haunted. Ned Stark's haunted. And then, you know, not for nothing, even though he hadn't seen him in a while, Ned's hiding this truth from his best buddy, his brother from another mother, Robert Baratheon, and now they're parting. And Ned's got to go work with the guy and lie to him, knowing that most likely Robert Baratheon found out Jon Snow was actually Aegon Targaryen the 49th. I know the number, but go with me here. Robert would try to kill the son, quotation marks, of Ned. And Ned had to carry that burden on down the King's Road. It is one of those, it's a call to action that is this big burden and, and, a, and a testament to those kind of things you sometimes have to do to help others at, at, a, at a big cost to ourselves, but you're going to do it ever, anyway if you're, if you're the, that type of person, if you're of that ilk, and Ned Stark is of that ilk. It plays so well. It's John's moment. Now, again, the connection, and, and Mark was mentioning this, you know, the music's playing, it fades, it fades into John's face, right? That's the big reveal. This is the big reveal moment. So I, that's, that's why I absolutely think there's a connection there. It's part of this whole tapestry of emotions. I just, I'm connecting to what Jay's putting out here of the sadness of Ned, the burden of Ned, and is represented in the music. The burden finds him there in the wall. And already Ned's not a jovial guy, you know? Ned could use a little more laughter. He's already pretty serious. But up there in the Tower of Joy, things get heavy, man. Things get deep and, and, and hard and even more difficult than a war. So to connect it back to that moment, to connect those emotions back to it, the next time I, I, I see you, I'll tell you about your mother. And, and I think he would have. I think if, 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 I don't know how or when, I don't I don't Ned I don't think Ned thinks he's marching down to his death or that John's marching up to the wall to die. I don't I don't necessarily think that. But, you know, hey, he's hand to the king, John goes to the wall. If all things stay normally, even by now, Ned's got that feeling that something bad's coming. That I'm being called down. Robert Baratheon is not just saying, "Hey, come pick uh, you take this job and we can hang out on the weekends." It's already, you know, John Aaron's dead. There's things going on. But at some point, you know, under normal, you know, no one's thinking about the you know, the Night King yet. No one's thinking about a, a, a dragon queen coming up uh, from, from Essos. At some point, Ned's probably thinking, you know, I can probably get back up to the wall. Maybe Baratheon uh, does a procession up there and we visit, uh, you know, the, the, the Castle Black and 
give them some some meat and swords and make everyone feel good, right? And then I could pull John aside. Maybe I tell him then. I think Ned would have told him. I think Ned would have told him if he felt he could, if he felt he was safe, not beyond the wall, but at the wall. You know, Aemon Targaryen's up there. So, I think Ned would have, but he didn't know. Couldn't be certain. And it was a big burden. It's a great emotional connection. And I'm here for those emotional connections. Represented in some beautiful music. You guys are awesome. Jay, Mark for the question last time. Eric Monroe, thank you all. Castle Talk is almost out of here. You can find us on Facebook, like the Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter. Use the hashtag Casterly Talk to join this conversation. But please consider... If you listen to the show for a while and you haven't called in, you got some, and not just about the show. Fire and Blood, The Dance of Dragons, Targaryen History, books. Do it. Get that anchor app. Call. I want to hear your voice. I want to, I want I'd love my regulars. By the way, I, I love my regulars. Every week I look forward to a call from Eric Monroe, Alden Diaz, Mark Kamire. Good folks. Good ideas. If you're out there and haven't called in, I challenge you to, to uh, call in with a question and keep celebrating, digging deep into the world of ice and fire with us here at Castle Talk. We'll see you next week. Bye.